You're listening to Panels of Blood, part of SplatterPictures.net. Hello and welcome to Panels of Blood, the podcast where I read you horror comics from all eras. I'm your host, Wes Deadair Nipe. First off, I'd like to thank Rick Hunter for the use of our intro and outro music, and I'd like to thank Chris Begarin for the wonderful art that he made for the podcast. If you're just joining us, we have been just starting our reading of Hackslash, My First Maniac. Last week, I told you all about my introduction to the character, what the character was, and why I love it so much, and your response has been pretty fantastic, so I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one that loves this character. I don't really have a lot of chit-chat for you guys, I really just want to dive right into the issue, so without further ado, I give you issue two of Hackslash, My First Maniac. Story by Tim Seeley. Art. Daniel Leister. Colors, Mark Englert. Letters, by Crank. Edits, James Louder. Cassie Hack, created by Tim Seeley, with Stefano Caselli. We open to a close-up sliver panel of a beautiful blonde woman screaming out in terror. As the panel pulls back, we see is a scantily clad bimbo running from a giant, radioactive spider. She says, Who will save me from this radioactive monstrosity? As we pan out even further, we see that this scene is taking place on a television set, an old, crappy tube TV, in a hotel room. Cassie, in her underwear, is training her body, punching the air in a fighting stance. The television says, The beast from Ground Zero will return after these messages. Cassie's narration. My mom took me for karate lessons when I was nine. She thought it might help me protect myself when she wasn't there to do it. Cassie now looking out the window of her motel. She's looking towards a church with a big bright neon cross at the top of it. Her narration continues. The lesson stopped suddenly. She decided to get me active in the church instead. I figured it was because karate was expensive, but church was free. She said karate would protect my body, but church would protect my soul. This next page is a bit of a montage. Cassie's figure is featured five different times with a sixth image in the background. The largest image is her in a fighting stance. It moves from her taking various fighting stances, crouching, punching the air, and the final image of her biting a pillow and tearing with her teeth. Probably not a formal move. My soul. People join a religion. They go to worship. They follow rules written down in books that are thousands of years old. Rules like, be good to your neighbor, unless he has a different religion. Don't touch this. Don't have sex with that. Don't think this. Don't ever say that. 
Don't ask too many questions. That's the big one. Because the most important rule is, have faith. All that because no one knows for sure what happens when your heart stops beating and you close your eyes forever. No one that is, except me. What rules do I follow? What do I have faith in now? We have an establishing shot of a rowdy local small town bar. Various patrons sitting at a bar, playing pool, having a good time. Bartenders pouring drinks. Cassie's narration. I put my faith in the only thing I have left. My mission. My mom left me some money when she died. The first time around. But most of that's gone. So, I took a part-time job. We see Cassie with a pretty pissed-off look on her face. She's carrying two large cases of beer across the bar. Sure, working as a barback at a teen dance club is its own kind of torture. Teen dance club? It really just looks like a pub, but... Alright, teen dance club. But the more I learn about slashers, the more I see this weird connection between them and teenagers. Especially the kind who partake in debauched behavior. We see two men and a woman necking. The man is licking up her neck while she is tonguing the other man. Her tongue is so far out. It's like a lizard or something. People don't kiss that way. I mean, at least I hope they don't. Anyways, I'm distracted. As Cassie walks away, biting her lip, she leaves the three laughing and carrying on. Her narration. So... Being here is not just about income, it's research. The art of the comic book changes. Now, anytime that you are telling a story in flashback, it's always good to give the readers a good visual indication that that's what you're doing. And in this case, the panels have taken on an older look. Back in the day when comics were still being printed on newspaper and using the four-color process, there was a certain look to how the art was presented. So even though I wouldn't say that anything is drawn particularly differently, there is a distinct different way in which this is being colored, and it makes it look old-fashioned, honestly. And it makes it look like it is being printed on newspaper. So this lets us know that what Cassie's about to tell us is a story in flashback. We have an establishing shot of a barn. It's daytime. I do more research here. The old farm. We now have an image of an old farmer. Blue overalls, red button-up shirt, cowboy hat. Next to him is his daughter. Blonde, beautiful, wearing a short skirt tied around her waist with a rope. And a barely there button-up shirt. The story says... Farmer Fig was some strict old guy with a beautiful daughter, who he never let leave the house. We now have an image of three young men sneaking through the cornfield. Of course, all the local boys knew about Jenny Fig anyway. It became a game. The boys would sneak onto the Fig farm to get a look at Jenny, then run off, laughing as an angry Farmer Fig chased them. One day, a few of the boys got braver, and Jenny Fig invited them into the barn. Two of them kept an eye out for Farmer Fig, while one of the boys, well, plowed Jenny's field, you might say. And indeed, the two young men are playing lookout, while well, one of them's looking at the scene inside the barn, lit by a lantern, one of the boys having sex with Jenny. But old Fig had grown sick of all the boys trespassing on his property and lusting after his daughter. 
He'd set a trap for them, using Jenny as bait, and they got forked. We see the boy scrambling to get away. The one that was having sex with Jenny is clumsily trying to put his pants up, but he's run through by Farmer Fig's pitchfork right into the gut, blood spilling out. Cassie's narration continues. An establishing shot. The sun is setting. Blood-red sky. We see the silhouettes of three men hanging from crosses like scarecrows. One of them has crows picking and pulling at its flesh. Cassie's narration. Fig put the kids up like scarecrows to warn everyone else that his land and his daughter were off-limits. This didn't sit well with the locals. We now have a panel of an angry mob, boards with nails in it, pitchforks, torches, surrounding Farmer Fig's house. Before you could say civilian justice, a lynch mob was headed towards the farm. But Fig saved him the trouble. Pretty quick, he and his daughter were dancing the hangman's jig. And we see, from the perspective of Jenny and Farmer Fig, both hanging from nooses. We can see the angry lynch mob from the nearby window. The stories say Fig is still here, prowling his cornfields, running a pitchfork through trespassers, his daughter never far from his sight. Several mysterious deaths have been attributed to him. We see Farmer Fig now looking far more ghoulish with bright red eyes and peeled back lips. His daughter in a bloody sack tied with rope. We can only see her blonde hair sticking out. Cassie by an extinguished flaming trash can littered with beer cans. She's in a hoodie and jeans just standing around quietly. Slaughtered teens, overprotective parent, the dead walking. You can probably see what attracted me to this one. We see Cassie putting her hand into the trash can playing with some of the ashes. An establishing shot. A high school. Daytime. Cassie's narration. The last part of my research gets done here. Buffalo Center High School. Well, it would if I can get myself to go in. Cassie sitting in her white van, hunched over the steering wheel. She stares at the high school with contempt. It's not that I think it'd be that difficult to sneak into a rural Iowa high school book bag and a counterfeit hall pass would do it. Nothing to James Bond. But to make it work, I'd have to infiltrate their social groups, get accepted, become a trusted member of their society, like Diane Fossey with teenagers instead of apes. I couldn't even do that in my own high school, with my own apes. Cassie sitting back in her van. She looks like she has no confidence and doesn't know what to do. Now a shot of a couple of the teens getting into a green car. Next to them is Cassie's van. She's looking at them from the car window. So I sit and watch. A creepy outsider. The stranger in the beat up white van who sits in the parking lot of a high school. Hey kids, want some candy? Now later, it's nighttime and Cassie is leaving her work. Cassie's narration. What if I find out that I'm wrong? What if there are no slashers? What if I'm just a crazy girl who dropped out of high school to work at a strip mall dance club? Cassie now approaching her van. She's got her keys out and she's ready to unlock her door. I guess I just have to keep the faith. Besides, no one is that crazy. From off panel, me alone, you assholes. Assholes, huh? I hear that's what you like, queer. 
Cassie in the foreground, from over her shoulder, we see two men escorting a shaken and smaller man out. Is that why you came to the fuzz? Gonna pick up a guy? I was here to be with friends. Just like you guys, okay? Now I just want to go. You haven't got any friends here, fag. We don't want you getting gay all over the place we hang out. You've already got gay all over you, you self-hating. One of those men pushes the other gay man. Shut the fuck up, fag. They push him hard, and he hits his car, breaking the glass, blood gushing from his head and dripping off his nose. The two men mercilessly start to beat this poor man. Cassie is just watching. Her narration. Oh, God. I should do something. We see a close-up of her hand, reaching into her van, grabbing her baseball bat. I know I can fight now. I know I can win. We see her closing her eyes, letting go of the baseball bat. But this isn't part of my mission. I'm not a hero. The two men, now with bloodied fists, are kicking this man while he's down. The, the, the man is in a fetal position on the ground, just trying to do anything to protect himself. He looks really, really hurt. I'm a hunter, and this isn't my prey. The man looks barely alive. One of his eyes is swollen shut. Looks like he's missing a tooth now, his face covered in blood. One of the men is stomping down on his head. But suddenly, from behind him, a third man shows up and gets one of these bullies in a full Nelson. He says, knock it off. Another girl, the one we saw in the previous issue, the blonde hair and the pink highlights, is cracking the other man in the face with her purse. He says, ah, bitch. Wow, you guys are so tough. Way to prove your masculinity. The man suddenly backhands her across the face in retaliation. Fucking fag hag. Then he pulls a gun. You think just because I'm in Iowa I don't carry? Then suddenly, a look of shock on his face. The entire panel bright yellow. As Cassie from the side smacks down on his gun-toting arm, breaking it at the elbow. Blood spews everywhere as bone protrudes from his joint. He cries out in pain, and the gun goes off, firing wildly. Ah, my arm! You broke my fucking arm! The scene now, the camera over top of the panel. We can see this man on the ground holding his arm, completely covered in blood. The gay man that they were beating mercilessly before is huddled in a fetal position in the corner next to the truck. The blonde with the pink highlights is standing behind Cassie, shocked. The other bully is standing there equally dumbfounded, while the man in the brown sweater, who also came to this person's help, is standing right next to him, shocked. Our three heroes standing back, while these two pieces of human garbage are walking away. The man with the broken arm is bawling his eyes out, as he fucking should. His friend says to him, Come on, Ludo, I'll get you to the hospital. Oh my god, it hurts, Jay. It hurts! Jay and Ludo. Couple of fucking dicks. Cassie, with her bloody baseball bat, looks at the pair as they're about to leave. The man holding his friend says, I don't know who you are, but the next time we see you, you're dead. His friend's just too hurt to care. I, I can see bone. <laughs> now that the fight's over, they tend to the man that was being beaten. You okay, man? Do you need to go to the hospital? I, I don't know. 
kind of dizzy. The two women in the corner of this panel now address each other. Hey, thanks. I'm Sarah. Oh, um, Cassie. Sarah and Cassie in the foreground, while the two men in the background, looking towards their conversation. Sarah says, So, Cassie, that's my truck that just got shot. You mind giving us all a ride? And I did actually fail to mention that when Ludo fired his gun when his arm got broken, he did indeed shoot the truck twice in the tire. Now, an establishing shot. The white van outside the Brookhaven Hospital. It's still night. You think he'll be okay? Now, an interior of the van. Cassie in the driver's seat. Sarah next to her. Sitting in the back of the van on his phone is the as-of-yet unnamed man. Sarah says, Yeah, he was fine. You know what drama queens gay guys can be. So, you go to Buffalo Center? Cassie responds, Oh, uh, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen you around school. I just moved. Last week. Sarah asks, Where from? Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, Sarah says. In other words, a place equally as shitty as Buffalo Center, Cassie. Yeah, pretty much. Sarah adds, Good, you can't be cooler than me if we're friends. Now, Kelsey in the foreground. Kelsey is the unnamed man. That's on his phone. Cassie asks, Is that your boyfriend? Sarah, Kelsey? I guess. According to him, anyway. They're now driving down the road. Cassie actually looks pretty happy. He seems pretty cool. He helped that kid without any hesitation at all. Sarah says, Yeah, a big popular jock. And he's one of the genuinely nicest guys around. A close-up on Sarah as she looks over at Cassie. Kind of makes you sick, doesn't it? Sarah asks, You work at Fuzz? Cassie, Yeah. Sarah, <laughs> Jesus, that's funny. Is it? <laughs> Sorry. I mean, Club Fuzz is the kind of place those brain-dead wanksters hang out. But you were there. I know, I know. But going there because it's where your sporty boy toy likes to hang out is different from working in that little piece of hell. You just don't seem the type. A close-up of Cassie's face, looking curious. Oh? What kind of type do I seem? Sarah leans back in the passenger side and gives Cassie an appraising look. Being the judgmental little bitch I am... I usually excel at pigeonholing. But with you? Hmm. The van pulls up to a large house. Sarah, anyways, this is us. Fourth period, by the Coke machine. Meet me for lunch tomorrow, okay? Cassie. Oh, yeah, I'll be there. Kelsey and Sarah are now outside the van, in the foreground. Cassie, sitting there clutching her steering wheel. The day after fucking never. An establishing shot. The caption reads, Later. We're at the interior of Cassie's hotel room. There's a weird, vague, purplish-red hue over the entire room. Cassie is asleep on her side. Next to her, under the blankets, with its own little pillow, is her baseball bat. Her eyes flutter open as if she's just been disturbed. Someone is sitting at the foot of the bed, facing away from her. My little girl, all alone. No one to talk to. Cassie now sitting up. She looks genuinely disturbed, but also she recognizes this person. Large, heavy set, brown hair. We don't see their face, but they're holding a stuffed bunny. Remember when you'd talk to your bunny? Remember how you'd cry to Mr. Pink? So lonely. Don't you wish you still had Mr. Pink, Cassie? 
Cassie's hand now reaching to grab the shoulder of this woman facing away from her. Cassie says, Mom? The woman, now turning around, grabbing Cassie by the wrist. Her hair no longer brown, but white. Her face scarred, one eye bulging almost out of its socket, while the other is pinched, closed. No lips, only teeth and saliva pouring out of the mouth. The face is mutilated beyond any recognition. Veins popping from the arms and wrist. Don't you wish you had someone to cry to? No one to cry to now. This woman pushes Cassie down to the bed and starts to strangle her, shoving the bunny into Cassie's mouth. All alone. Cassie, waking up from her bed. It's now daytime. It was a nightmare. After a moment's realization, she holds her face and cries. A new establishing shot. It's daytime. Teens wander about the halls. The unmistakable doorway of a high school. Sarah, leaning against a Coke machine, is waiting for Cassie. She looks at her watch. Off panel. Hey, Sarah. Sarah looks to Cassie. Cassie is dressed in her old school uniform from when she was in a private school. Now she's in a public school. Sarah says, Hey, Cassie. Uh, who told you we wore uniforms at this school? Cassie, clutching her skirt, curling some of her raven tresses behind her ear. She looks uncomfortable, embarrassed, and looks off to the side. It's, um, from my last school. I thought it would be okay. A slivered panel. The back of Cassie's head in the foreground. The focus on Sarah. I get it. Kind of Japanese schoolgirl goth Lolita? Cassie responds. Oh yeah, totally. Sarah. You have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? Cassie. Not even a little. The pair walk down the hall together. Sarah holding a triumphant finger skyward. Today, we lunch. Tonight, we take you shopping. Establishing shot. The same two bullying punks that were beating that kid at Club Fuzz are now walking through the cornfield at night. The caption reads, Later. Ludo, now with his arm in a sling, is calling out to Jay. Jay? Jay, wait up. Man, you gotta slow down. I'm disabled, remember? You ain't disabled. You got your ass kicked by a chick. Ludo shoves Jay with one hand while Jay shoves him back. Whatever, man. Your dumbass has us lost. Shit. Probably isn't even a party out here tonight. Trust me, this party's gonna be off the hook. I got an invite through Face Space. <laughs> Face Space. Said to come to this side of the farm. Ludo does not look convinced and actually looks kind of scared. Oh, well, a Face Space invite. Of course it's fucking legit. Hey, what's that? Jay asks. What are you talking about? Ludo, now with the flashlight, is heading off into the darkness. I saw somebody over there. We now see Ludo standing in front of a dilapidated barn, one of the doors barely on its hinges, his flashlight shining just over top of the doorframe. Jay in the foreground, but we can only see his foot. What the hell? Huh. Never noticed this before. Both men peer in with the flashlight. Man, you didn't see anybody. No, I saw a person. He went in there. Hello? Hey, fags, this shit ain't funny. 
Seems that's his uh, go-to phrase. Charming. When Ludo steps inside the barn, it's full of old arcade machines, and one of the arcade machines seems to be on, glowing from the back of the room. Whoa, check this out! The whole shack's full of old-ass video games! We see Jay screwing around, laughing, playing with the toggles of, of an arcade machine called Plumber Man. Wonder what that's a parody of. Hey, look at me! I'm a champion at jumping over barrels! Old video games are so gay. They now step closer to the arcade machine that actually seems to be on. Jay says, Huh, the hell is this? Ludo says, I don't know. Here, take the light. We now see the digital effects of a blonde farm girl with pigtails. She looks scared. She has dialogue above her head. Hee hee, I'm gonna get hammered. Beware of Grinface. We see a large gloved hand right next to the woman's head now, holding a giant hammer. In the next panel, the hammer smacks down onto the girl's head. Cartoonish blood splats everywhere. We can see only her pigtails and her body. The title of the game pops up in bloody font. Blood bus. And blood is like B-L-U-D. And then bus, one word. A close-up of Ludo, his face being illuminated by the screen of the game. Blood bus. Jay crouches down on the floor and looks behind the arcade machine. That's weird. I don't think this thing's even plugged in. Dude, what the fuck? We see the side of the blood bus machine has a smiley face, like almost like a don't worry, be happy face, with the title blood bus across it. But behind that, what Jay finds are two pieces of paper, one with his picture on it, and the other with Ludo's picture on it. Below both of their photos simply says, 1,000 bonus points. Suddenly, a crow flies into Jay, scaring him. Ah, motherfuck! He drops the papers, and then he goes screaming out of the barn. The crow is following quickly behind him. He's crying out, scared. Ludo calls after him. Dude, it's just a bird! Jay, dropping the flashlight, waving his arms wildly in the air, bolts into the cornfield. Get away! Get away! Ludo, now chasing after him. Hey, wait! Where'd you drop the fucking light? Jay, running through the cornfields, pushing them out of the way. He looks terrified. Then suddenly, barbed wire wraps around his neck, stopping him dead in his tracks, his tongue sticking out. He's pulled backwards. The barbed wire digs deep into his neck, slicing his throat. Now, unable to scream, he clutches his throat, lying on the ground and bleeding out. He looks panicked. Ludo now looking through the cornfield. This ain't funny. What the fuck are you? In the foreground, we see Jay's bloodied hand desperately reaching towards his friend. He can't speak. His vocal cords are cut. He just gurgles mutely. Ludo calls out, Jay? We now see, crawling on his stomach, Jay trying to get towards his friend. But in the foreground, a gloved hand, a hammer, and that red striped sweater. Meanwhile, on the other side of the farm, that barrel now blazing with fire, that party that was on the old face space is raging. Revelers are everywhere having a great time. And who shows up but Sarah and Cassie. 
Cassie, now dressed in a style of clothes that she will be most associated with for the rest of her life. This sort of gothy punk combo, not unlike Sarah herself. Sarah says, Pay attention, guys. Queen Sarah speaks. This is my friend Cassie. She's new and hot. Treat her nice, okay? Or I'll kick your asses. Cassie, looking kind of awkward, she gives a weak wave. Uh, hi. We now see Sarah's boyfriend, Kelsey, walking away from the fire. A random, blonde, good-looking teen thumbs back behind them. So, Sarah's got a new pet project, huh? Nah, man, Cassie's cool. Whatever, man. You just like the freaky chicks and... Ah! This blonde, good-looking teen is startled by a scarecrow in the cornfields. It's far enough away that we can only see the silhouette of it. Kelsey laughs at his friend and places a hand on his back. <laughs> Blake, you're such a badass. Hey, fuck you, Kelsey. How was I supposed to know it was just a scarecrow? And the final page is indeed a scarecrow, but it's Jay, twisted and tied up to this cross with barbed wire. Barbed wire around his chest, legs, arms, and face. One of his arms is slung over the cross limply, the other is broken at the elbow, twisted up. He has been completely eviscerated. His bowels, entrails, organs are all spilling out and attached to his chest, his bloody, bloody chest, is that piece of paper with his picture on it that says 1,000 bonus points to be continued. Well, that's going to do it for issue two of Hackslash, my first maniac. I hope you guys are enjoying it. Things are ramping up. Cassie has gotten herself involved in a bunch of friends. These friends are good-looking teens, and they are now basically in a slasher movie. That's the thing about this character that I always really liked. Cassie continuously will walk into scenarios that are a slasher movie, and she's always the odd person out and she's that X factor that will actually be the person that will take out the killer, the perennial final girl, but not without a lot of hardship on the way. I mean, the thing that is really important to know about Cassie is she is only human and a teenager at that. So there's a lot of things that she is not always equipped to deal with. Most notably is her social interaction. She's not good at making friends. She was um, a, a girl who kept to herself mostly. And even though she does view herself as this powerful weapon against slashers, when it comes to social situations, she locks the fuck up. And I can really relate to that. So it's really, really cool. And it's something that Cassie will be able to grow over time with. But at any rate, I hope you guys enjoyed that. And if you did, you can let me know on Twitter. I'm at Wes Deadair Nipe. Or you can comment on splatterpictures.net where we post these episodes or also on iTunes. If you could leave a review, that would be fantastic. Or you can hit me up on SoundCloud. If you guys ever want me to read a specific comic book, just let me know. Other than that, I will see you next week. I'm Wes Deadair Nipe, and you've been listening to Panels of Blood.